welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. All right. Well, I'm thankful for JT to give me this opportunity to preach on this passage. Uh, the, those who don't know you, my name is Sam. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's my wife, Amy. In the yeah. back. She can be a witness, a witness for this message. Uh, tonight, my passage is Ephesians 5, 22 to 24, if you guys want to flip there in your Bibles. Uh, the title of my message is God's Plan for Marriage and Submission. Easy topic. I'm going to actually read uh, a larger section. It'll help us get a flavor for this whole piece. I'm going to read 21 through 33. Um, And then we'll specifically look at 22 to 24 this week. Starting in 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be home holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However... Let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. If you join with me in prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for this glorious passage, this glorious vision of marriage that you've given to us. And God, we know that we fall so far short of your standards and your plan and your vision. And so, God, I pray you'd open our minds tonight. Lord, help us to put aside our, sim- our sinful assumptions, our, sin- our sinful beliefs, God, that we would open our minds and our hearts to your plan for marriage and submission of the wife. Amen. Amen. 
One of the things I love about going straight through a book of the Bible, like we're going straight through Ephesians, is that we get to address hard passages like this or passages that may not on the surface seem applicable to you. Um, What has marriage and submission as a wife to do with a high school student? But I think there's a lot more applicable than what we realize And we are reminded, I am reminded, we are reminded of what a precious gift the Bible is. Uh, The Bible gives us everything uh, we need to live our life. Uh, From childhood, to dating, to parenting, um, to working, to school. This Bible is, we know that this Bible is a precious gift that has everything in it that we need. If only we will look for it. And so... We must look in here to supply all of our needs. Now this actually, Christmas, I'll tell you guys a quick story. In Christmas, uh, 2000, Christmas 2003, when I was a high school senior, my parents actually gave me this very Bible right here. 2003. And I got really into reading my Bible senior year of high school. And I really wanted to study Bibles so that I could learn more about the Bible. And study Bibles are expensive. You guys probably know that. Or maybe you don't. It costs a lot of money. Take a lot of work for people to put all this information in here. And so my parents gave me this gift my senior year. But little did I know that this Bible, this Bible would be the last gift that they were to give me as a married couple. Shortly after, shortly after that Christmas, they divorced. Or they separated and divorced. But little, <laughs> little did they know that this Bible would be a refuge for me. It would be a light. It would be a guide. Many tears would be, many tears would be shed on this Bible. But there would be many joy, much joy, many breakups, many tears. But then there would be marriage, and there would be children, and there would be more joy than I could have ever anticipated at that time in my life. So I want to encourage you guys on the value of your, of this word and what it can mean to you. Um, I looked up some statistics. Statistics tell us that roughly 50% of children today will witness their parents' separation or divorce. And that is so tragic to me, having gone through it myself. And I know that many of us will shape, we will shape our view on marriage based on what we experience, for better or for worse. This is another reason why we need this word to guide us so that we don't fall into the same traps that our family or our friends or those around us do by repeating what they, the mistakes they've made. This is all, these are all reasons why we need this word. This is all reasons why we need the church. The church can be a refuge for each one of us. And that's what the church became to me when my, the fruit or the blessing of my parents' divorce was that the church became my family. They were the support. They ministered this to me. They taught me this word and what it meant for me. They prayed with me. They comforted me. 
And so, um, so out of all that experience in my own life, I want to impart to you guys the same vision that they imparted to me through this word. That's my goal. That's my goal for tonight, that each one of you could get a vision for God's plan for husbands and wives. I know some of you are probably very excited over the prospect of marriage. Some of you are probably, I know many of you may have even already planned your own wedding, um, your own future wedding, um, as I know my sisters had when I was a high schooler. Um, but some of you probably don't even want to think about it. Or some of you are scared of it. Some of you might abhor the idea and not even want to think about it. Um, and there's a lot of reasons. Some of those reasons are because of what Colin talked about last week in our Defending the Faith, our, our today's society, our post-modern society that tells you to focus inward, to be self, focus on the self, focus on self-fulfillment, self, uh, self-focused life to realize your true self. And those are thoughts that destroy God's vision. Not to mention gender confusion, the gender confusion in the world um, that is destroying God's view, destroying the image of God that God put on every man and woman starting in the garden. Um, These are many of the factors that are leading, as you guys all know from COVID, leading to skyrocketing young people, skyrocketing in isolation and depression and anxiety. The recent stats I looked at from the CDC said that uh, 42% of high school students feel constantly sad or hopeless. And 22% say they have seriously, um, they have seriously considered suicide. The, the gospel of the world uh, will destroy you. The gospel of the world won't lead to God's vision for marriage and family. There are many chapters in this Bible that will expound on this and give you new aspects and different aspects. We can look at, we have great passages like this to teach you about marriage. There's also Colossians 3, 8, Colossians chapter 3, Genesis chapter 2. Um, there's a lot of great passages, you guys. I encourage you to, to look at them and to think about them and to read them and to journal about them because that will be your guide. That will be your future guide. So my first point tonight, um, my first point tonight is God's design for submission. And God's design for submission is at the foot of his cross. Just using the word submission can bring up a big I'm sure, a wide spectrum of emotions for many of you. Uh, Some of you may have joy. Uh, Some of you may have anger um, over abuses from parents, from teachers, coaches, um, all relationships that we are called to submit to in this world. Um, Let's take a minute to look at the Bible and what the Bible says about submission, that we need to put our feelings and our experiences aside to see God's plan. Starting right in verse 21, 
Paul starts to lay out his foundation for submission. 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So right away we see the only single, the singular foundation for submission is to God first, to Christ first. And in all of our relationships, we should think first about submitting to Christ. And even later on, this is the first of three different relationships that Paul will address in this book. He's going to talk about wives submitting to husbands. He's going to talk about children submitting to parents. And then he's going to talk about slaves submitting to their masters or a worker submitting to their boss. Very similar. So one quick example I thought of for us to give us an idea is that each of you has probably gotten or attempting to get a driver's license. And when you get a driver's license, you have to know the rules of the road, the rules of the road book, right? Very exciting. Uh, But in order to get your license, you have to tell the state, you have to promise to the state that you will abide by the rules of the road. And only by obeying, you can only have freedom to drive around in your car. You can only have that freedom if you will submit to the rules of the road. And so it's similar in this situation. We, if we want freedom that God offers, we need to submit to him and his design for marriage. I want to look at two Passages in Genesis that will give us a foundation, for, a foundation for God's design for submission. The first one is Genesis 2.18. God said in Genesis 2.18, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. See right away in the second chapter of the Bible that God's, before sin even entered the world, that God's design for the woman was to be a helper to the man. And God's design was that man should not be alone. God created man with the need for someone else. Adam realized that he was alone, that he did not have a helpmate. There was no partner suitable for him. And I love this word fit. It's almost as if there's something missing. Um, as if God created Eve to be a complement to Adam, to be that missing puzzle piece, to come in and fit alongside of him. And I know Eve was, Eve was to complement Adam, come alongside of him in his work, and his work was to, God had commanded him to work and to keep the Garden of Eden. And Eve was to join in him in that work to work and to keep it, to care for the animals, to name them. And I know many of you have seen this. Some of you have seen this in your homes and some of you have not. You have seen your parents work together to work and to keep your homes, to keep order, to keep God at the center. Some of you have seen this, some of you have not. This brings me to my next passage, which is Genesis 2.24, which says, A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. 
Not only does God create Eve to complement Adam, to be a helper fit for him, but God has created them to be one singular flesh. That is a great, that is a great mystery. How does, how does that work? How does that happen? Um, We know, we know from Genesis 2 that God created Eve, reinforcing this one flesh ideal, that God took a rib from Adam and created Eve with it. And that reinforces this one flesh theme. And this one flesh, how does this happen? Um, how does the one flesh work? Um, we can look at, we can get a taste for it in verse um, 23, thinking about the body of Christ gives us the idea of how this one flesh works. Where Christ represents the church, or Christ, sorry, getting off track here, which the husband is to represent Christ and the wife is to represent the church. Just as Adam was to be over, to be the head of Eve, The man is to be the head of the marriage. And this one flesh reality can only be accomplished spiritually. It's not, God's design for one flesh is not created through sex. It's not created um, legally through a contract. God's design for one flesh is not even created through childbearing. But God's create, God's design for sex, or God's design for one flesh is for the man and woman to come together at the foot of his cross, submitting to him, submitting to each other out of reverence for him. I want to list it off some things, some special things that happened for us as a husband and wife at the foot of the cross. Because at the foot of the cross... Man and woman are equal. They are equal in sin, and they are equal in grace. They are saved by grace through faith for good works. God has prepared for them together. Ephesians 2.8. In Ephesians, we learn that at the cross, husband and wife, we must humbly submit to one another out of love for Christ. We just read that. Ephesians 5.21. We read in Philippians 2, 3, that at the foot of the cross, we must consider the needs of each other. The husband and the wife must consider the needs of each other greater than their own needs. JT preached on this passage earlier, Ephesians 4, 22, that at the foot of the cross, we can put aside our old self and we can put on our new self. Ephesians 3.17 tells us that at the foot of the cross, we can be rooted and grounded in love. We see that at the foot of the cross is where God's design for marriage happens. Husband and wife submitting to him, bringing their sins, bringing their problems to Christ.
to be renewed and to grow together. Now that we looked at God's God's design a little bit, we're going to move on to verse 23. This is specifically uh, the wives as, as the church. Verse 23 says, For the husband is head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. So this is kind of the meat. This is the meat of this passage. Um, Verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And then if we go down, we'll see. It says, So also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So this little section, Paul starts and ends it with the same thing. And this part in the middle is the meat. Um, The husband being the head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. His body being the Savior. And I think think this vision for marriage is a vision we all can get behind. Um, And I made seven points of how this works out. How this practically works out. Give you guys a better understanding. Number one, the church takes refuge in Christ. Uh, the wife is to take refuge in her husband, just as the church takes refuge in Christ. The husband is the wife's protector, just as the Christ protects the church. Two, Christ provides all the needs for his church just as the husband is called to provide for all the needs of his wife, not just financially, but also emotionally, spiritually, to provide security. My third point is Christ saves his church through his death on the cross. Husbands are called to save, to give up their life, to sacrifice their self, to give up their life, for their wife by dying to themselves. My fourth thing I saw and how this works out, the church is to give life to the congregation. Our church is called to give life to our congregation. We are to bind up the sick, right? We are to bind up the needy. We are to give to the poor. We are to help the widow. In the same way, the church is to give life to the congregation. The wife is to be a life, is to give life to her husband and her family, to feed them, to comfort them, to care for them. The fifth way I found was that Christ makes his church beautiful. Christ beautifies his church. Just as a husband is called to beautify his wife, to make her beautiful. Sixth thing, Christ is to cleanse the church of its sin. Christ is to cleanse the church of his sin, and a husband should be, a spirit, should be the spiritual leader to as God calls him to be the head, he's calling the wife to, sub- to submit to him. He should lead her to the cross to cleanse his wife and his family 
of their sins. Seven, I hit on this a little bit, but Christ Jesus, Christ sent his son Jesus to die to save the church. A husband is called to give his life up for his wife and family. I think we can read a list like this and we can get a little overwhelmed. It's easy to get overwhelmed when I, even myself, going through this list and seeing God's design can be overwhelming. And I think our temptation, our temptation is to make our obedience and our submission um, conditional, to place our own parameters upon it. If my parents, I don't have to submit to my parents because they don't, they don't understand, they don't respect me, they don't trust me, or God has not been faithful to me. I don't need to submit to God. I think we can make it conditional. But I know in the, uh, just reading the Bible, reading the Bible reading plan the last week about David, and David being on the run from Saul. And I thought this was a great example of submission. Uh, David, no matter how much Saul tries to attack him and kill him, David will not strike back. Why does, why does David not strike back? <laughs> why does he keep running uh, from place to place? Because David is committed 100% to submitting to God's plan. David says, God, you put Saul in power and I, will, I submit to your decision and I will submit to that until you decide, until you bring it to pass. So David stayed submitted to God and I those are one of, that's one of many, many stories in the Bible that can give us the strength to submit when we feel like we can't or we shouldn't. David found, uh, David found true freedom when he let God, when he let God control his future with Saul and the kingship. David found true freedom. He found true freedom by letting God do his will at his time. I think that's the same for us. We find true freedom not by pursuing, not by realizing ourself, not by focusing inward, not by, make, not by staying firm in control, not by wanting to control our circumstances, but by giving control to Christ is when we can have the most security and freedom. True freedom, in this passage we see that true freedom for the wife is found by coming under the headship of a godly husband who submitted to God, submitted to Christ. So what does this mean what does this mean practically for each one of us um, as high schoolers? It's a lot of big thoughts about marriage, about submission, about husbands, about God, about the church, about one flesh. These are all really big concepts that I um, worked hard at to even understand myself this week. I wrote down six things that I thought would, six good applications for high schoolers. 
application one, we should submit to our parents out of love for Christ. Especially girls are called to submit and respect their fathers. And I would urge each one of you even to write your dad a note and tell him what you're thankful for, what you appreciate, ways that he has modeled God, big or small, and encourage him. The second application point I wrote down, which could be very controversial, um, you can take it with a grain of salt, is that a girl should, I don't, a girl should not ask a guy out. This is a reversal. This is a reversal of God's design. God designed men to lead. I do think it's okay for a girl to let a guy know she likes him. Guys aren't always the most, uh, they don't always catch on. They don't catch on very well. We don't always catch on very well. But I think we need to leave it to the guy to initiate and the guy to take leadership to pursue. I think if he can't, if he can't take leadership to pursue, that might be a sign that it might not be worth pursuing. <laughs> Um, I think we should look we should we should look someday when we look for a mate we need to train ourselves to not look based on the outward appearance but based on the heart based on these principles can I submit can I submit to this person you know I guess we think of things like well, I like this person because they're a lot of fun. They make me laugh. We, I feel like I can be myself with them. You know, we often can say things like that. And I think we need, to re, we need to read God's word and we need to retrain our brain and our hearts to remember that we need to be asking these kinds of questions. Is this a guy I can submit to? Is this a guy I can respect who will provide? For guys, is this a girl who wants to dominate me or is this a girl who will follow me follow the vision that God's given me for my life and hopefully we have a vision for what God has hopefully we each have a vision for our life that God's given us big or small my fourth point goes a little bit along with that one is we should we should know why we're dating why are we dating are we dating for fun? Are we dating for the feeling it gives us, for the emotional high? Are we dating uh, for what we can get out of it? You know, in college, it was like, well, this guy's got a car. I'm going to date this guy's got a car. <laughs> or, you know, there's a lot of things like that. Or, you know, his parents have a lake house, so... And so we can date for a lot of reasons that aren't always the best. So we should be careful not to date out of what we can get out of it. We should remember God's design. That God's intention is for one flesh. God's intention is for man and woman to come to the cross together. We should remember God's design when we're thinking about dating and marriage.
My fifth point was uh, we should, looking toward the future, practical application, we should give ourselves to serving the church and practice submission by submitting ourselves to the needs of the church. Whatever way that is, serving in kids' ministry, um, serving at Redeemer South, cleaning up, setting, cleaning up, setting up, taking down, vacuuming. Uh, we should become a servant like Jesus. Point six is we should not fear marriage. God created it. It's God's design. God ordained it. God's word even says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I think it's good to eagerly anticipate. It's good to anticipate it. It's good to desire it. That's God's design. And I think it's better in our society today. I wish all people would remember that God's design is better. God's design for marriage and family is better than what the world can offer. The world is offering travel, travel the world, uh, work from home, get a college degree, get established, live, live for yourself for a while. And I think our temptation is, is to do, to follow those things. And I urge you guys to think about, uh, think about what you want for your future, to think about God's design. I can tell you from experience that having a family is, I've traveled a lot of places. I've traveled all over, I've traveled all over the world. I've done a lot of things, um, and I can tell you that having a family is a greater joy and a greater adventure than any of those trips, any of those trips around the world or mountain climbing or fishing in Alaska, all the things I did when I was single. I can tell you that God's design for family and for marriage brings a greater joy and a greater adventure, greater adventure for us men and a greater joy uh, for women. I think that is something that the world minimizes and uh, the world does not want us to believe that or know that. Uh, the world is seeking to destroy uh, God's plan for the family. So, just in conclusion, uh, my parents... You know, although, although my parents' divorce caused me lots of tears, lots of pain, lots of problems, um, but I can look back and I can see God's goodness. Um, I can see, I can see God's goodness that God brought it into my life for a good thing because it caused me to press into His Word. It caused me to. Uh, press into the church. It pushed me to the cross. It pushed me to Jesus. It pushed me to question a lot of things in my life that I weren't questioning. Roads that I was on. 
whether whatever it was, I'm going to get this degree, I'm going to play this sport in college, I'm going to do this and that, and it caused me, caused me to question everything I was doing, and it caused me to search His Word, and it changed my it changed my life because it pushed me into His church. Read Ephesians two eight um, to conclude, which tells us, "But each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others, having this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form." Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. Jesus was our ultimate example of submission for each one of us. Jesus gives women and wives the power to submit to their fathers and to their husbands. It gives men and fathers the power to submit to Christ. That Jesus became a servant. And through Jesus, we can all be servants to his church. In the same way that husband and wife are one flesh, we are one flesh with Jesus. Just crazy thought for us. Jesus' body belongs to us because it has redeemed us. This is what we celebrate in communion. We take Jesus' body for us. Jesus' body belongs to us. When he died on the cross, he gave us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit that will guide us and open his word to us. And if I just urge each of you to go to the cross tonight in your groups or when you get home in your room. Go to the cross and tell God your sins. Tell God your fears. Because you can find true freedom in him. Lord, I thank you for this glorious passage. And God, I know that even myself falls so short of your design. Your design and your purpose and your beauty. So God, I help us tonight as we discuss it, Lord, that you would open the minds of each student to see your design, and the beauty and the glory um, and the hope it gives. In your name I pray, amen.